just can't do that a lot. You know, I got deals I'm trying to close and keep together. And um, so um, I get that. I understand. And I, I want to make this participative. I want to make this something that people enjoy and, and benefit from. Uh, so we're, uh, we're going to work hard at that. Um, Are you actually in the EXP conference room? Oh, wait, never mind. EXP no. Is all yeah, no, I do that on, um, uh, I do an EXP call on Monday morning. This is public. We're going to do it here on Zoom. And we're gonna, uh, I do stream it live, and we are live right now on YouTube. So um, welcome. I'm Bill Gross. I'm with EXP Realty in Los Angeles. This is probateweekly.com. It's a weekly call I set up when the uh, pandemic started. Uh, my vision of this is to be a resource for real estate professionals, aspiring professionals to get together and to learn, be more proficient, share best practices, share vendors uh, for newer people to learn kind of path, for experienced people to, to mentor newer people, help them along the way. Um, and we do this every week, every Thursday at four o'clock. We get investors on here who want to learn how to unwind some probate problems. We get realtors who want to learn how to list and sell property and close deals. And so you're welcome to come. We also are on YouTube live. Uh, and then afterwards, if you register through the Eventbrite at probateweek.com, we'll send you a link every week to the video as well. So don't by missing the calls. And if you like that, if you be so kind as to subscribe or like the videos, that helps encourage us. And we're getting more of a following from vendors and stuff because of the people watching it on the YouTube channel. It's been a big, big asset for us. So as we get started, I want to share two ideas today um, that I think you guys will enjoy. The first one is from Inc. Magazine. I was on the phone just before this started with one of my college roommates. Um, he's actually President Steve Combs of Bay State University in Boston, Massachusetts. And we're catching up and he's sharing with me the 70-20-10 rule. And he was explaining how this is kind of, they're revolutionizing or attempting to revolutionize education by a number of different things, uh, appealing to people who have jobs, uh, uh, shortening the terms, uh, more intense, online first, that kind of thing. And he shared this rule that was designed, the 72010 rule. It was a, there was a, uh, a class where people were uh, invited to make pottery. I've never really made pottery, but uh, go with me for the sake of the story. And the, um, the concept was that one group was told the most important thing was the quality of the pottery. And uh, the other group was told the most important thing was the volume of pottery that they made. And so the question is, which group do you think um, actually ended up making the higher quality pottery? And we want to put the chat box or say out loud or raise your hand. You had two groups. One's focus was higher quality pottery. The other, the other group's focus was uh, the, the volume of pottery. They were going to weigh the pottery and see how much uh, they made to determine uh, what was the, the, uh, the, the winning team. And which of those two groups do you think actually made the better quality pottery? Anybody? The higher volume. Yeah. And why is that? Because they didn't have the expectations on their shoulders so that they didn't like stress on just how good it was going to be. They just did it. They just did once. It was probably a mess. And then they did another one. And maybe got a little better, they learned from some mistakes. They got a little better and a little better. And after a while, they did enough times where they really learned through their failures on how to, and the first nine were bad, the 10th one was great. 
And, and as you said this, I was reflecting on my business as a real estate agent, particularly in probate. Um, I know there are agents who get into marketing. I'm in a group. In fact, Gabby, you're part of the group where we were encouraged to do video. And I've been doing it for a little bit of a while. But, but what I would say is that the coach kept saying, just do something and then do it again tomorrow and then tomorrow and tomorrow. And what happens is I, I took that challenge when he first mentioned it a couple months ago. And that's why this call is on video. And like it or not, I have to say more people get to see this that want to see it because it's on video. It doesn't really cost that much extra to do. But by doing the video, I got a little better at it each time. I got a little more purposeful and getting better results as, as well. In my probate business, literally I was on the phone with an attorney yesterday. And the truth is of my probate business, I do a lot of volume of smaller deals. For an LA agent, my average uh, uh, transaction was like, $300,000, last year. I did a lot of $5,000, $10,000 lots along the way. But as I explained to the attorney, the, that volume made me a much better probate real estate agent because by doing the deals other agents didn't want and they didn't compete for, I met with attorneys. I went to court. I saw judges. I read files. And as a result of just like the pottery making 10 times the 10th one becoming better, my level of service is better now. And as real estate agents or investors, often we hear about somebody who does one deal and they make $100,000 on it. Or, and we think, wow, if I could do three deals and make $300,000, that would be great. And it might be for income, but I'd rather do three deals of 10,000 each and, and, and gross the $300,000. Of course, there's expenses and net numbers and all that. I get that. But my point is, I'm willing to do the extra work because if I do three deals and one falls apart, I still have 29. Number two, by doing three deals, I have a business. If you do one or two or three of anything in a year, it's really hard to be good at it. It's hard to stand out. It's hard to be an expert. And so I would say to investors, the key thing is get started. And for real estate agents, you know, I, so many agents will buy data from data sources. And I'll see in the different chat boxes and Facebook groups and such. Well, I got the numbers. Should I mail this? What should I mail? How should I mail it? How about just mail them all something and call them all? Like just call them all. What should I say? I don't know. You'll figure it out by the 10th or the 30th call, but just call them all. And so I, I just want to use this as an opportunity for all of us. And I'm reminding myself, we just have to get into action. We'll figure it out as we do it. Yes, we'll make some mistakes. Yes, we'll fail along the way, but along the way, if you do it enough consistently, you'll get great at it. That's the, the message I want to pass on for all of us today. So that's from Inc. Magazine, and I'll put the link to the article in our show notes if you're interested. The second thing I want to share today is for any agent that is part of our EXP group, um, and those who aren't, there's a program, Gateway to Mastery. You may know uh, my sponsor was Don Hobbs, one of the really first big real estate marketing coaches in the business out of Orange County, went on to be the uh, uh, Gary Keller's partner in bold coaching. And now he's the president of Success Magazine and Success Industries, the XP Buy. And so we're doing, he's doing a coaching program, one year of accountability in 13 weeks. They took a one-year program and crammed it down to a 13-week program. The total cost is $4.97 for those three months or 13-week program. And we have some world-class coaches uh, that are in this from Bold and from Allison Gaddy, the uh, condo contessa on branding, 
So some Grayson and Don Hobbs, the real Don Hobbs, we call him uh, as well. So if you're interested, uh, Romans will close March 31st next week. It's 497 for three months. I'll put the link in the show notes. If you are with the XP, it's free. If you want to join the XP, uh, we'll make that free along the way as part of your, your package. So I'd love to have you join us in that. Okay, so all that said, let's go to our regular uh, group here and talk about probate as well. Anybody have any particular uh, stories in probate or challenges or issues you'd like to share with us today? Probate or real estate uh, investment related. Anybody? No? So I'll share with you a story of, and, and this is a, a, there's a lesson learned here. I'm not seeing anybody raise their hand or in the chat box. Real life example. So in, in probate, there's really two types two ways you can break down the process. The, the majority of probate real estate sales don't need court confirmation. They're like any other um, residential transaction. There's a couple different forms. There's one little trick, but basically it's like a regular transaction. And then about five to 10% require court confirmation. If it's a conservatorship, a guardianship, or contested probate, often, the parties require court, the law requires the court to approve the sale. So the way that works is you, you sell the house as an agent, very complicated. This is where I recommend the first time, let me partner with you on it. I'll teach you everything individually in that deal and then you'll become an expert in it. Um, but I see agents all the time try to do it on their own and that's where I bring investors in and we get good deals because they make a few mistakes along the way. And that's where they get continued over and over again and delayed for months. But that said, uh, we saw a sale with an agent who, for my money, um, had made a couple of key mistakes. That's, that's blood in the water for me and investors. And I brought an investor into the property. We bought it at uh, court confirmation for a good price. We think we got it uh, and made a good profit on the purchase. The rule in court confirmation is you have to close within 10 days of receipt of an original court order signed by the judge. So it means an original a certified copy signed by the judge. So you can be in court and there's a piece of paper that says you won, but the clock of 10 days doesn't start until the attorney prepares the order, gets it to the judge, the judge signs it, then they get a certified copy and give it to you. And most people don't know that's the process. So they don't push the process. They don't push the attorney right away. They don't push the court to get back a signed copy. They don't then push right away to get the certified copy and get it at least to escrow or the agent to start the clock. And so oftentimes buyers want a little extra time, particularly on investment property. So my buyer in this case wanted a little extra time. This is a development project. It's not a fix and flip. And so he's knocking it down rebuilding. So there's plans and architects and all that going on. And he's getting ready to find, finalize the deal, but he just has a couple things he wants to get done before he closes. And he said, if there's any way to extend things a little bit, let me know. And it turns out that uh, you know, we, we were you know, working hard to be ready in case we're pushed, but also take advantage of any delays. And it turns out in this case, the seller is available to sign the grant deed. Imagine that. So until next week. So you're supposed to close tomorrow and my buyer gets an extra week, but we were ready to go. Uh, and we had some tools that we could have maybe delay things if we had to. But it's good in this case that 
if you play your cards right, I, what I always say is if you're prepared and you work hard, you often get lucky. If you're not prepared and you don't work hard, my experience, you never get lucky. Everything is hard. And so another way of saying that is if you're hard on yourself, life is easier. And so in my case, my buyer and I really got ready to close on time. Fortunately for us, we got a free week's pass from the, at least a week, from the, uh, in fact, I have two of these transactions. Dennis, I see your hands up. Yeah, Bill, did uh, your buyer get to see the property ahead of time? Was it a, a regular sale that uh, went through or, um, and doing diligence? Probably no due diligence on it because you were getting a good price. Well, in this case, Inspection, um, I mean. yeah. in this case, the, uh, it's the court overbid. So somebody had bought the property, been in escrow for months and thought, and thought they were going to sneak it by us. And, and it's just always funny when you deal with the listing agent on these deals and they're always kind of cagey about seeing it and kind of discouraging you or whatever. Uh, and then we show up and we bought it. Um, but um, the property was fenced off we were told it was available because the city had, had uh, done that, but that didn't make any sense. The city doesn't put up a fence and lock your property because of violations. There were violations, the property was being cited, but they make you do that. Unless it gets really bad, they're ready to condemn it. So, we, so my, my buyer actually went to the property and met the neighbor and the neighbor said, oh no, I put the fence on and I put on the lock because we were having problems with people who were um, squatting on the property. And he gave my, my buyer, before close escrow actually, access to the property and he was able to walk in and, and see some things, some trees they, they want to get rid of, trees they can't get rid of. So yeah, no, my buyer definitely had an inside track by doing the extra work ahead of time. And that's what happens. You know, I, I tried, I, I send out a list to my investors of properties that are coming up. And then, you know, if we, if we catch it early enough, we have time to go and find these little nuggets where somebody else might not bid on it because it looks too ominous, but you go there and then they let you in. You realize, oh, I can do this, I can do that. It's not such a big deal. So that's what we do. Let's see, that's nice uh, background there, Dennis. Thank you. Looks like the surf's up here. Are you gonna jump out and catch a few tasty waves here while we're waiting? I'm sitting here at the beach just uh, hanging out. Yeah, very nice, I like that. Good. So that's the story. Who has a deal closing? You guys wanna share a a story, a, a war story list. People like to hear about what's happening in the market. Who's closing a deal or not closing a deal or, uh, and you can share with our, with our group. Anybody? I've got another question for you, Bill. Go ahead, Jess. Um, properties in a trust and um, uh, the trustee is no longer alive. So the, um, they need to assign another trustee. There's, there's a daughter that was not originally on it. So um, what's the process on that? Does she have to go to court to be assigned? Yeah. So if it's not provided for in the trust document, the succession process, then the right. attorney will file a full, there's a process they go to, to create a new successor trustee. And they have to notice people, public notice, publication, things like that, that they go through. And is real estate involved in it? Yeah. Um, no, there's not. Okay. The real estate's already been disposed of, so it's just it's a couple investment accounts and a bank account. Okay. So yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it is the total of the accounts more than one hundred fifty thousand dollars, or I think one sixty seven that went up to. Is it more than that amount? 
I don't know. I'll have to ask her that. Okay. If it's because not, it then it's be a small. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was below that number. I think it was 167. You see 150 for the longest time. That's a small probate. They can probate it. Um, if it was more than that. Then uh, they can probate it or they can assign a uh, uh, successor trustee or something uh, what to do with it. And there's, there's a legal process uh, of, of how that gets done like, um, based on you know, um, where they are in the family tree. So uh, definitely. No, she's going to need a, either way, she's going to need an attorney to walk her through this. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. This okay. uh, again, it was below one the small the threshold things one sixty seven for small probate, then probably not. She could do it herself. It was more than that, then yeah. Uh, and just kind of FYI, um, you know, not included in that number is um, uh, insurance. Life insurance is, is usually has a designated beneficiary, and mm -hmm. usually not not included our uh, IRAs. They usually have designated beneficiaries as well. So it would just be bank accounts and security accounts that would be an, uh, an issue that don't have beneficiaries reassigned. Good question. Okay, so who else has a question regarding probate real estate, how probate works? Who's got a problem or challenge or anybody here working on calling petitioners, calling attorneys, having particular luck with that? No? Nobody? Really? Come on. Okay. Um, so let's see what else is happening in the probate world. Would you recommend it? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, it's funny you say that because I know people all the time who, who jump into it and start as it and start a, a, their business in it. And for most of them, I wouldn't recommend them to do it. Uh, I think what I would say is that if you're an established real estate agent, I would recommend you first learn about living trusts mm -hmm. and use that as content to share with your current database as a way to find some probate business. Yeah. If you're a brand new agent, I wouldn't recommend it because you don't really know how to close real estate. Why take on complicated transactions when you haven't learned? Simple Too many moving parts. Correct. As yeah. an investor, I think it's a great source, uh, pre-probates or probate. If you're looking for something to cold call or to do lead generation, I think it's a very good deal. And so I do work with investors and help them. I give them data. I kind of coach them up on what to do. And we work together. So I would definitely recommend for investors who are who have a marketing plan, who are spending money to generate business, this would be a niche that I would add to your, your other programs. But I wouldn't start with probate. I think it's a little more complicated. Um, and I see... You know, companies will have you know, brand new agents and sell them the probate data. And I, I appreciate the enthusiasm that agents go after. Mm -hmm. but again, I think it should be hard to sell a seller a list with you when you haven't listed a house before. That makes sense? Sure does. For experienced agents, I think it's great to um, start off with adding in. And I, you know, if you're, if you're an experienced agent doing 10 or 12 deals a year minimum, you have a database of 200, 300 past clients, uh, you know, vendors um, and such. If you just called them all and talked to them about whether they had a living trust or not to avoid probate, you would generate more probate business and you would cold calling strangers to ask them to let you list their house. And once you've done a couple of probate deals with your, and, and your past clients are easier deals. They're friendlier, they like you, they, 
They trust you already. So this deal is usually a little easier to work on, even in probate. And so if you do a couple that way, now you've learned the process, you've worked with an attorney or two, you've been to court uh, a couple of times. So now you can start prospecting, I think, strangers to add to your business. Mm -hmm. I think that realtors are way too fast to add probate business when you're cold. I just think that's, I, I wouldn't say not to do it, but it's a, it definitely is a challenge. Also, when you talk to your, uh, your existing clients and they don't have a trust, then you can, well, that's a way in to talk to the attorneys. Absolutely, absolutely. So I teach a class just on this, but I'll give you a, a quick you know, three minute overview, which is I recommend agents, uh, sales professionals to call the entire database and identify your database as one of three things. They're all either, you know they have a trust, you know they don't have one, or you don't know. So the ones that you know have a trust and you can check public records and see how they took title. <clears throat> you certainly wanna make sure the house is held in the trust. So you should call them. If you know they have a trust, verify they bought the house that way. Mm -hmm. They need it even online. But you might call them and say, hey, uh, uh, Dennis, uh, Bill Gross, I noticed you guys, uh, when I bought, uh, uh, when we, I sold the property that you didn't buy in a trust, but now you've put it in a trust. You know, I have a lot of clients who need living trust. I'm curious, were you happy with the attorney you work with that created the living trust for you? And Dennis is going to say one of three things. Yes, we love them or her. No, we hate them or her or in the middle. If they love them, you would then say, well, that's great. You know, I talk to people all the time that need living trust like you, other customers of mine. Would you mind if I called a tree so-and-so? and use them as a resource for my other clients. Oh no, he's the greatest, here's his number. Tell him we called. Now you're calling the attorney and you're saying, hey, I talked to Dennis Smith. He says you're the greatest trust attorney. I'm a realtor, I come across people all the time that need living trust. And here's the key phrase. Are you still writing living trusts? That tells him you know his business or her business because many attorneys will start their career doing living trusts. And as they move up the food chain, Delegate that to some lower entry level attorney because they want to administer the trust. That's where the bigger money is. By asking that question, you're telling them, I know your business a little bit. So you're still writing living trust. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. I'd love to you know, refer people to you. Tell me about how do you do it? Do you do a sem some do seminars in their office? Some do webinars. Some do like a once a month gathering at their office. You know, some just you know, do a consult uh, first, whatever they do. Find out the process and use that. When the customer says, oh, we hated our attorney, now you can refer them to somebody else. You know, I know it's been about five years. Have you had it reviewed? You might want to check another service and have it looked at. And the ones that don't know, of course, you want to find out. So this is going to generate, obviously, business for living trust attorneys. Help your clients. Make sure, And here's the other thing. Make sure your client's real estate is deeded into the trust. Because they did it, if they bought the property more than 10, 15 years ago and they refinanced, main lenders had them deed it out of the trust to refinance. You don't have to do that anymore. But you used to have to do that. And they'd forget to deed it back in the trust. And that would cost about a ten dollars or $20,000 legal bill down the road. So definitely for an agent like you, Dennis, who's been in the business a while, has a good client database, has a good relationship with them, the low-hanging fruit is that rather than cold-calling petitioners to list their house. And, and my belief is if you've worked in that conversation that you're an expert in probates, you know probates real well, 
you're going to get more probate business that way than you'll ever get at cold calling. Bill, how do you segue in the attorney conversation to probate? You're talking to him about trust. You know, do you still write uh, trusts? And um, so how's the segue into the probate part of it? So we can role play a little bit. So Des, tell me about your practice. You do living trust, you do trust administration, and they'll talk about that. They love trust administration. Trust administration is like being handed REOs to attorneys. They love talking about that. And you can just ask a question. Do you also do probate and or probate litigation? Some do, some don't. Some will say, I don't really like to do it. I refer it out. Some will say, yeah, I do probate occasionally. That kind of thing. So I'll tell you, I wouldn't ask him for referrals. I think the relationship first. Right. Um, in my case, I used all the leads.com and, and they had like a trifold brochure of all the services a realtor can provide to a family in, um, in probate. And so I might just say, hey, by the way, Dessa, if you do an occasional probate, you know, I know that for you, the challenge is all the other non-legal services. I can help you with that. Um, and, you know, as examples, the ones that I normally present to them are, <laughs> I'll do the legal research for, I'll find out how the property is deeded. I'll pull up the, the, the deeds of trust and, and do some research for you. We'll drive the property for you to the condition of the property. I literally did that last week for a, um, a prospect attorney that I work with. So I offer that service. Maybe I'll send them the trifold in the mail. Um, you know, in, in the old days, I'd see my person hand it to them. So uh, I haven't done as much mailing of that. That's on my website as well. So I talk about the services, but again, I never ask for the business. I'm just offering them the service. Hey, can I ask a question? Sure, Gabby. Um, so I know I'm new here. Um, Bill, thanks for inviting me. Um, I worked, I ran the office of a law firm for six and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I had a bunch of attorney clients as well as real estate clients when I ran my business. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, th and I know it's harder in our current environment to do this, but attorneys are required to do continuing education and they wind yeah. up being part of a bar association, just like you guys are part of a real estate association. Yeah. And we, when I worked at the law firm for six and a half years, one of our attorneys, one of our partners was a uh, trust in real estate and she was on the board and whatever and whatever for Beverly Hills Bar Association and every month she was going to classes that were continuing ed why would yeah. you do cold calling instead of going to an environment where those attorneys already are and start creating the relationships with the attorneys and get in front of them that way to yeah. to say who and then when you're in an environment like that you know who does probate you know who does trust admin you know who does right. writing the trust right so as soon as you say that um it used to be they did the classes at the courthouse. at the what uh, at the courthouse uh where the biggest attended classes and so yeah. there. and uh for the la bar association for sure um, yeah and during covid now they do them online uh and i took i've taken them I, I, to be honest, I only take, there's no networking. There are yeah. people who sponsor, if you want to buy the business, um, they haven't asked me to sponsor. So I, I don't, the people who that's their business plan is they sponsor that, but I find they don't do some do business, some don't, but more important than that uh, is I go to the classes to learn about the business. Right. They had one, uh, both the LA and the uh, Beverly Hills bar and they have it around the country. What Gabby's talking about continuing ed these associations have different meetings. They, they, they get together. And uh, they, had a they had two classes with judges explaining 
what they look for, what they expect, what the turnaround times are. That's with gold. So when I was talking to an attorney the other day, I, I literally said, you know, yesterday I was on the LA Bar um, Association class with the panel of judges and I heard Judge Penny of Department 2 say blah, blah, blah. I'm an expert when I say that, right? So I would say take the classes, they're only like 25 bucks to educate yourself and be the expert. And this and, you know, and they have different sections. So you could yes. have the real estate lawyers section, the trusts right. and estate lawyers section, the bankruptcy lawyers section. Right. So take right. the ones that are in the section that makes sense for what you're trying to do. 100%. So I, I, I do the trust and estate section. I'm, I'm a member of both. You can be an affiliate member of the bar. I'm an affiliate member. There's a lot of benefits to it. 100%. And I think uh, if you're in collections, you're an investor, dealing with judgments and enforcement, they had a great class of the day on, on, on really how the process is for judgments and enforcement of, of judgments and such. So definitely great suggestion, uh, Gabriella, on, on the LA, on the Bar Association's uh, affiliate program, you can join, or you even have to join, you can just go as a, as a guest. And they have Bar Associations in every state in the country. Uh, whoever's on this call, we have people now coming in from all over the place, definitely check out your bar association. That was something that Chad Corbett, my coach and all the leads had mentioned. And I went to a couple and I, number one, I realized the people who sponsor uh, the, the realtors weren't even paying attention to the class. I'm thinking, this is like the gold, like the real gold is to know how to do the business. It's nice that people yeah. think I'm an expert, but it's even better to be the expert. So learning that stuff is invaluable. Can non-attorneys attend these classes? Yes. Yeah. Yep. You can, non-trees can, can choose to or not join as affiliate members, number one of that bar of the building Hills bar and of the LA bar. And whether you, whether you're an attorney or not, or member affiliate or not, you can pay as, you know, as a guest, as a fee of like 25 bucks. If you're a member, maybe it's free. So I, you know, I, I've been a member and I also pay uh, for the classes. So definitely you can go. Uh, and I find them very helpful. There's a, there's the Bar, the LA Bar, the Beverly Hills Bar. There's a San Gabriel, I'm sorry, San Fernando Valley Bar Association. Um, they, they, they've all been a little discombobulated with COVID, so they're all a little different. Um, they have in-person meetings and mixtures and social. I don't do those. I just don't like there's, that myself, but they go also, on. Just so you know, there's also like the Hispanic Bar Association. There's the LGBT yep. Bar Association. There's the... Yep. Yep. Southeast Asian, there's the South African LA bar, American, there, South Jewish, LA. Jewish bar association, there, there's all kinds of them. Um, and you don't have to be Hispanic to go to the Hispanic bar association, et cetera, et cetera. Well, How do you these? Just Google search. Just Google search the, uh, who asked a dentist? Yeah. Yeah, just Google search Orange County Bar Association. And I'm sure it's ocbar.org. Or, uh, I'll look for San Diego if you don't mind. I'm sorry, San Diego. Yeah, look, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I looking at the there's... beach there, and I'm thinking of Newport Beach, but uh, I don't know what the shot is behind you. But I'm, yeah, I, uh, San Diego. Look, it's just Google search San Diego Bar Association. And here's the other thing: if there's an upcoming class that you think is good, share it with a group because, uh, I, and I'm guilty. I should have done it also. There, there are a couple really good programs recently. Um, uh, one where you met the judges. And I think it's invaluable to, to see them with their robes off and see the people and hear their backstory. It was, it was really interesting. And um, again, I go to court pretty regularly. So for me, that was really valuable and interesting. 
they also talk about the, for example, the scheduling of sales that they had been as long as 90 days and how they're really working on scheduling to 30 or 35 days right now. So um, it, it was very, very interesting. And Dennis, I'd love to hear what, what's going on in the San Diego bar as well. So keep us posted. Okay. Good, good stuff, good questions. Thank you, Gabby, that's really, and, there's, and then there's other groups. You know, I know that when I took all the leads uh, uh, probate mastery program, which I think is the best training in the business. Um, uh, and, and I believe you, once you take it, you can watch it on video as much as you want. I'm gonna mute somebody there, by the way. I think it's Juju uh, Abraham. Um, the background, my friend Abraham, my very close friend Abraham, has a bird, Juju, that I think is making some noise. Anyhow, um, um, Chad Corbett, the coach, recommended uh, a number of different groups. There's a National Fiduciaries group, a great source of business for real estate agents. Um, and then there's elder care groups. There's a whole, there's a whole you know, I, I know there's BNI and, and there's other kind of networking groups, nothing wrong with them. I find those tend to be more consumer oriented and not as, not as, um, I'd like to go to learn more than I do just to network. I talk to people all day long. Yes, Gabby. Uh, Gab, I used yeah. to be a member of the Cal CPA when I was a bookkeeper and they do continuing ed also. So you could look for continuing ed that they're offering that is real estate based. There you go. For exactly. example. Yeah, thank you. It's a wealth of information. Yeah, CPA is right. That I ask, you know, I get asked for referrals from time to time from uh, literally last week, uh, conservatorship accounting, special niche of accounting that has to get done then properly um, that people need help with. So yeah, there's a lot of different associations that, and, and they're all different, you know, in real life, as far as some are active, some are inactive. Uh, some have morning meetings, some have lunch meetings, some have evening and social hour kind of stuff. I like daytime. I, I work from, you know, 7.30 till 6 or 5.30. I don't like to work evenings. There are people who do. Then go to the evening stuff. I think that's great. But um, they're, they're all different. And I noticed that each one's different in different areas. I know San Gabriel Valley looked like it was more social networking, whereas LA was all about the content. And that's what I enjoyed. Uh, myself. So definitely take a look at different organizations and then report back if you find one that you like that has some good information, uh, report back to us. Sasha Allen, I'm glad to see you on the call if you're available. I want to hear the end of the story with your um, tenant, your probate with the tenant situation that's, that was looking like a short sale. How did that work out? You there? No? Sasha, are you there? I know Sasha has young kids and uh, during COVID, um, that's a whole another level of challenges and problems. No? Okay. So um, what else do we have going on? Anybody else here have any good deals, probate, you wanna, that you have in your contract you wanna share with us? Anybody uh, have a property that they think they, they're looking for some money on? Can help we can get sold today? You know, I should have brought one on today. I didn't think about it. No? So if you're a wholesaler, investor, or an agent, you have an off-market listing, or if you're a wholesaler, investor, you have a property under contract, and you'd like to try to find a buyer on it, uh, send to me ahead of time. I'd be more than glad to present it to our group and see if we can't help you find a buyer for it and get it sold. Um, anytime. Um, 
anybody else? Any other questions, challenges, problems? We'll, we can wrap up here uh, quickly, unless there's uh, anybody has anything I can help them with today. So, not hearing any. Appreciate you guys being on. Uh, Gap, thank are, you. Uh, are any of your any of the folks listening and active investors, you all real estate agents? I think I know the answer. Who here is an active investor? Abraham is an investor. I, I have a couple of technical questions, operational questions, if somebody knows the answer. Abraham is, in addition to being an agent, is an investor. He does fix and flips in Kansas City, Kansas, as opposed to Kansas City, Missouri. Actually, Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, that was Kansas. Yeah, my friends are in Kansas, but the properties have been in Missouri so far. Oh, okay. There you go. Stand corrected. Anybody here on the phone, an investor that wants to can share some operational issues with Abraham? Well, we put it out here, and then if somebody has an answer, they'll come back to us. What's the? Well, okay. So I'll, I'll give two. They're, they're kind of a technical level. I'm in California, so I don't know the rest of you are from if you have this issue. But in California, the state has this queer taxation policy. If you form any kind of legal entity, a corporation, a partnership, a LLC, if you live in California, it's judged that your place of business is California and you have to pay a minimum of $800 tax on that company if it makes any money at all. You can make $5 a year and you're gonna be $795 a whole. It kind of makes it a little difficult to put together consortiums of people that invest in real estate if it's a small deal. $800 a year is a big burden. And I'm just wondering if anybody has figured out how to overcome that. Is that a tax or is that a um, LLC annual report fee for the state of California? It, it is called a tax. So if you owe $13, normally, well, you owe $813. If you already owe $1,500, there's not an additional fee for this. Okay. Yeah, typically, uh, some states, and I think California is, is one of them, mm -hmm. that um, has a high um, annual fee for LLCs, which make it prohibitive, especially for the purposes of kind of um, one of the wholesaling strategies is to, um, you know, rather than assigning a contract, especially when that's not available, you can uh, sell your interest in the, your LLC as the buying entity in a, in a contract for, for purchase. Um, so I was just curious to know if that might be related to that or not. I'm not familiar with California. I'm in Colorado um, and invest in Missouri and, um, and Florida as well as Colorado. That's a different question. I don't think, Bill, you might know more about this than I do. This is real estate law. Right. And I don't think the real, the real estate department, the Department of Real Estate in California accepts that as an alternative to real estate investing. I think they come after you for that. Bill, well, yeah, you know, I think I think that the, the point you're making is if you're a resident of California, any entity to file the return on and, and it, they use the term tax, but really just a filing fee of 800 bucks. And it has effective, it's, it's like a tax or a minimum tax. Um, in out-of-state investors, you know, you'll listen to them talk about how to invest and they'll talk about having multiple LLCs and have nested LLCs and 
you know, one for three properties and they'll consolidate and all oh, that. Yeah, yeah. That sounds great until you're paying 800 bucks a piece in California, which is why so many successful investors don't live in California. Um, or or yeah, those who are in California here. Right. And those who focus on California, um, focus on California business. So when I see the investors that I meet who live here, for the most part, they're investing here. They have a niche and they work that, that niche. Because for that reason, our tax laws are different in um, uh, the new states. Bill, do you have an answer for that? Like, what is the type of entity that you use? I don't use an entity. And, and I think that, that um, I don't, I'm not an investor first. I'm a real estate broker first. I end up, you know, probably flipping two houses a year. Uh, I don't like remodeling. I don't, I don't. Hammer, I, you know, I own a hammer in case a handyman comes and needs a hammer or my son-in-law comes and <laughs> we have a hammer. I, I don't know if I ever used it. I have a toolbox with a bunch of stuff in it. I, I know where it is, but okay. you know, I just, so for me personally, <laughs> so, I, I'd buy it if I could junk it out and, and call Molly Maids and clean it and, I re, and you sell it. I'll do that. Anything more that I don't do. So I do it in my own name. I'm a broker already. And, and, I, and I, get, I get people all the time who stars investors and are very scared and Get LLCs and get talked into doing that, and and I, and I don't know that's right. The first step, uh, I'm not saying they don't have their advantages, but sometimes I feel like you can hide behind the LLC, think you can do something you can't do, um, and and I'm just not in that position. So, but I don't have any rental property, and I'm not doing a high volume of, of investing. Hello, this is Dennis. But my investor clients do. They all have LLCs. Uh, the, and the ones that I work with mostly are LA or California based. They have one LLC. Uh, they might buy property at the way Dave mentioned it. Uh, I have one client who buys property at LA Port. He gets a single purpose LLC so he can sell the LLC without changing ownership and save. What you do save money on is the transfer tax. In LA, you have a 1% transfer tax, one tenth of percent transfer tax. So a million dollar property, you're going to pay. Hundred thousand, ten thousand, you know, thousand bucks or so yeah. uh, to transfer the property, and so if you buy an LLC, you're selling the LLC rather than the property. Right, right. That's a different issue. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've done LLCs for that purpose. Good. Any other questions? That's good stuff. Good question. Anything else, Abraham? Oh, I had another technical question, but it's just in the same nature. I'll let it ride for now. But thank okay. you, thank you. No, thanks. Yeah, we held investment property in California and did not have a entity in California. I don't know right. if that helps. We have I a Delaware entity. And... Well, if I'm, I'm trying to get work in a business where people, other people invest with me and you get somebody to come in, if they're a high net worth person, for them to come in on a project with me, they're the guy with deep pockets. If anybody gets hurt on the job, they go after them and sue them and so forth. So. I need something to protect people if they're going to invest in deals with me. Yeah. Sure. Question comes up. Yeah. Part of the cost of doing business is, uh, is figuring yeah. out those pieces, how to do it expensively. And, and um, but I don't have any uh, particular experience. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who do out of, look, I have a bunch of friends who move in Puerto Rico. Uh, they're actually, uh, it's like a neighborhood of EXP agents who uh, accumulate <laughs> stock and they live there for two years. And if you're there a resident for two years, 
You then pay Puerto Rico taxes. You don't pay federal tax. There's no state, but there's a Puerto Rico territory tax of 14%. So you can imagine if you have stock that's worth a couple million dollars, yeah. even, the capital gains you're going to sell, you're not even paying a 20% capital gains rate. Of course, in California, you'd pay 20% unless it's changed and raised to 28 like it's being proposed. Plus, you'd pay California taxes maybe 14% on top of that. So you could be paying 42%. We're friends moving to Puerto Rico to pay 14%. Now, those folks can rename the town, couldn't they? <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so I think that that, um, that said, that's why so many investors are out of California because, you know, you can do those things and invest more freely and, and uh, yeah. raise money. Uh, I don't know too many people doing that here in Los Angeles. Um, and if they do, they have one entity uh, and you have to do a certain volume to do it well. For a big project, $800 isn't that big of a deal, but uh, right. my size is a big chunk every year. Correct, correct. Which is calling for maybe creating some sort of a Missouri or Kansas entity to avoid that. I don't know if there's state taxes there. Yeah, by nature of me living here, I understand I can't avoid this tax. Right, I, I agree with you. Unless somebody knows better, somebody has an angle I haven't, haven't learned. No, I think you're, I think you're, it's 100% correct. I think as long as you live in California, they're going to, you know, California taxes athletes. Like if you're a pro football player, uh, the way that NFL pays players, they get paid one check every game, you know, 16 checks a year. And if you, if you uh, play for the Miami Dolphins, you think you have no state income tax, you play the LA Rams here in LA, you mm -hmm. owe taxes on one sixteenth of your income. Really? Uh, yeah. That's amazing. I, I believe NBA players also. And I believe really? baseball players also. Uh, I think so. It's based on where you earned the income. So if you are in California playing, you earned the income in California. That's why there's filing in multi-states. Right. I did want to say, right. I don't know how this applies to real estate, but when I worked in Beverly Hills, we yeah. were opening LLCs all the time as Delaware LLCs, and we would file the Delaware LLC as a foreign entity in California. Um, so we would pay the Delaware fees and then the foreign <laughs> filing to California right. was $250, not $800. Well, um, were your, where did these folks live? Did they live in California? These got, yeah, these were people that lived in Beverly Hills that were creating these um, and nearby to Beverly Hills that were creating these I don't know. I worked there for four years, and we must have uh, created thirty different LLCs. They were not, they were really? they were not real estate, but some of them were islets. No, that, that's not the issue. I, and the state of California didn't come after them for. No, we filed us. No, because we filed. We filed foreign corporation in California, mm -hmm. and it was two hundred and fifty dollar California fee to file a foreign corporation for a Delaware corporation that was owned by people who lived in California. So it I think was a corporation though, not an LLC. Correct, that's they the were, distinction. They yeah. were, it's Maybe still the same, it's, it's the same thing. Right. It's called a file, it's called filing a foreign corporation, right. but it's still an LLC. Right, but I don't think a, you, can, you can't really. file a foreign LLC, you're filing a foreign corporation. It does, no, it's, no, no, it's, if, a foreign, a non-California entity filing, doing business in California files what's called a foreign corporation, regardless of the type of entity. Oh. It's just, so, a, it's a, you don't get stuck on the terminology. Okay. So at well, least it's less money. It's $250. This was, 
this was back in 2014 and I haven't done it since then. Okay. So in 2015, right. so I don't know what the current status of the laws are regarding that, but I, again, we probably filed 40 of them in the four years I was there and okay. that's what we would do. And you called it a what? In California, go to the um, website and look up uh, foreign corporation filing, filing as Thank a you. foreign corporation. So then okay. the owner of the Delaware LLC that lives in California takes the Delaware LLC and does a foreign filing yeah. in California. Okay. okay. So Nevada, Thank you. Nevada and Wyoming are also two other states that have advantageous they do. Um, tax law as well. So might want to yep. look into those. Yeah, Wyoming actually is probably the the most secretive and advantageous and is the a very best. very fast. Yeah. Amazing the options you I've, have. I've, I've heard that. I've heard they're they don't report to the other states what's going on. And you don't have to list who the owners are. You can list the um, attorney that created and filed it for you as the address and um, who everything gets reported to without identifying who the owners are. Really? In Wyoming's, I believe Wyoming's the only state you can do that in. Okay, there you go. Excellent. Hey, uh, Rick Brand makes a good point. Uh, if you want to exchange information, put in the chat box. Uh, if you want to put your, your contact info, name, phone number, email, and such. Uh, so we can contact and then anybody here, if you want to reach out to somebody on the call, if you didn't get their contact info, uh, feel free to come through me. I, I have everybody's contact info who has registered to be on the call. So uh, glad to be an intermediary if I can help with that. Um, okay, we're coming up kind of on the witching hour 451. Um, again, thanks for your help. Appreciate the detail and, and Albert, thank you for participating and sharing with us uh, some challenges and all those of you who participated, thank you. We do this every week on Thursday at four o'clock. And again, the idea is to be a resource to help people be more successful in investing, more successful with probate business in particular. If I can help, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, my name is Bill Gross. I'm bill at thelaprobateexpert.com. You can email me there or go to my website and catch up with me. My phone number is 310-210-0008. Again, we do this every Thursday at four o'clock, probateweekly.com. I also run a call on Tuesdays. Um, which is realestateinvestingzoom.com, which is more oriented towards investors, wholesalers. And we have people from all the country come on there. I try to highlight out-of-state investment opportunities when I can or properties. That's realestateinvestingzoom.com. Or again, just reach out to me more. I'm glad to get you the information. Thank you all for participating. It was a great week this week. You'll get a link to the video if you got on late. Please, if you watch the, the YouTube, please like it or subscribe to support it. Appreciate your help, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Thank you.